When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for the very first episode of Extraordinary People, the Pride of Britain, a brand new podcast brought to you from all of us on the Pride of Britain team and our friends at TSB. Now, as you probably know, the Pride of Britain Awards are all about properly celebrating good people who do amazing things. In this new podcast, I'm going to delve a lot deeper to find out more about what makes our winners tick, where they find that strength and what gets them through their tragedy, heartbreak and sometimes challenging times. We've got a lot of laughs along the way too and a few celebs telling us their thoughts about courage and our awards. Now, we started the Pride of Britain Awards back in 1999 and since then a huge family has grown. A family of our winners, of all of us on the team through the years and also everyone who watches and admires the extraordinary things our winners have achieved. And you are part of that family too, so welcome to the gang. Now, our first guest is a bit of a legend. She's someone we've come to know well. After suffering a horrendous acid attack as a young woman, she has gone on to become a campaigner, a TV presenter, and a Pride of Britain winner in 2012. She's even been a Pride of Britain judge. She is, of course, the one and only Katie Piper OBE. Now then, Mrs, I saw you, first of all, uh, two weeks ago or something on Loose Women, flashing your abs and wearing (laughs) all your gear from the 90s. Why was this? Well, they were feeling nostalgic. They were talking about, they'd done a poll about what were the best decades of people's lives and the 90s um, topped the poll. And I was the only one on the panel that day that was a teenager in the 90s. So I I started (laughs) secondary school in 96. Um, So yeah, best time of my life, worst time of my mum's life probably. (laughs) (laughs) Very impressive, I have to say, in the low-rise jeans. I hated those years, not being a teenager during the 90s. (laughs) I wanted to take you back to the 90s and about growing up and the young Katie. Your mum, Diane, was a a primary school teacher, I believe. That's right. Your dad was a barber and you're growing up with your siblings and life was normal, if you like. Describe Katie as she was in the late 90s and going into the 2000s. Well, the first sort of year of secondary school in 96, you know, I was quite quite studious, um, really engaged with academia because having a a school teacher as a mum, you know, my mum was um, very devoted to our education and, you know, felt that it was really, really important. Then I think by year eight, year nine, I was smoking. Um, I was rolling my skirt. (laughs) Yeah, rolling my skirt up. (laughs) Graffitiing on my tie um, and sort of had discovered social 
socializing and and all those kind of things I mean, I mean it's always stayed with me that I was quite a creative person I loved reading writing I loved art I loved sport um, anything that I could sort of use my imagination with um, and create stories and scenarios um, I really loved and things like um, maths and science were, were terrible for me so I'm the opposite to you Carol basically <laughs> maths and science are, are, are hell for me um, but yeah it was great I lived in a very small village in Hampshire so you know it, was, it wasn't sort of like my life in London as an adult um, and we had lots of friends where you, everyone knew everyone and you would play out in the fields in the woods I mean really the kind of childhood that sadly children don't really have now perhaps with all the technology and the, the dangers that we're, we're more aware of it was, yeah. it was a lot more like an Enid Blyton book back then. <laughs> and then when you left school, you started eventually to get into television, doing DIY shows or something. Yeah, I mean, te television in very loose terms. It was it was probably more aspirational than successful. Um, so I, originally I went to a tech college and I studied an MVQ in hair and beauty therapy. And then I worked in a, a spa in a salon for a while. I'll tell you who one of my clients was, who I used to massage, uh, Dr. Hilary Jones. No way! <laughs> That's an exclusive for you. I used to do his full body massage. Um, I, don't, I don't know if he'll remember me, but he, he was one of my regulars every, every Saturday, actually. Have you never so, told him? No, but I should do, shouldn't I? You should tell him. Yeah, you should do that on Would I Lie to You? That would be a good one. Be <laughs> he a was a nice one. guy, though, nice client. Oh, he is. He's um, lovely. So, yeah, he, it was a health That's club. He was funny. a member of the health club. And then I did that for a bit and it, it was, it was a like interesting job in terms of you got to meet lots of people and hear different walks of life, different stories, but it was sort of limited in how far you could go with it. I decided to go on an adventure and, you know, for me to go from a village and move to the capital of England was, was quite exciting. And they were all sort of aspiring models, actresses, dancers, singers. And we rented a house where we all rented a bedroom and we were going to different auditions. And yeah, I worked on the DIY channel selling solar panels, which was very forward thinking in those days. <laughs> that was. <laughs> yeah. That um, was. Yeah. Roulette, the roulette channel. Um, I worked on the jewelry channel selling gemstones. We even got to go to Thailand where all the gemstones were from and film out there. So yeah, I, I don't think Holly Willoughby was feeling threatened by my career at that point <laughs> but you know I was I was young and I and I suppose it, for me it felt like I was on my way to fulfilling ambitions and goals and I was making enough money to pay the rent on a bedroom so it was it was exciting I suppose. Obviously you're having this fantastic time and just enjoying yourself and in the bright lights of London yeah. and working hard and doing your best and then uh, something terrible happened which many of us know about but if it's okay with you um, if you can describe how, it, you know, the events that came up to the, your acid attack. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very well documented now. You know, it was it was over 15 years ago. Um, and I think um, it, it's really what brought me to the attention of the public because it was a news story and it was, yeah. it was a shocking news story in, in its time. And I, I suppose it still is now, but sadly, I, I think following what happened to me, we do read about acid attacks more often yeah. now, which is, which is terrible. Um, but the way that it happened to me um, was that I was dating somebody and I rejected them. And it, it was a short period, a matter of weeks. It wasn't like, you know, you met him online. Is that right, Katie? But you had a oh, lot of mutual friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when I rejected him, I was um, beaten up and raped. And then, and then a few days later, 
um, a stranger hired by him then threw acid in my face. Um, and that, that was in 2008. And then, yeah, that's sort of been the story around me that people took a lot of interest in and then the consequence recovery, which really has gone on forever. I mean, I've had surgery this year. It's sort of never really stopped. It's, it's just, it, I think anyone who's got a burn injury or, or any sort of life-changing injury, I think what happens with the recovery is rather than you learning to live with it, a turning point comes where the the injury has to learn to live with you and you get back out there and it doesn't get in your way. But I think the first few years you have to sort of surrender to to the injury and let that lead for a bit. Going back to just after the attack, because this is, the, you know, the important things. I know and we're going to come on to the foundation and all the work you do to help people who have either burns or, or other disfiguring injuries. Young Katie, you know, how on earth did you cope at that time? And there was a lot of publicity. I can remember it now. I mean, it, it was uh, terrible to read. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of that age-old debate of what makes somebody strong or resilient. Is it nature? Is it nurture? And I think I'm in a very privileged position where I'm from a really stable family. You know, up until what happened to me, I'd never really experienced any real pain or trauma. So when it did happen... They were there straight away and then they literally physically never left my side. And I think that support network you can't underestimate. And I think when your world's turned upside down, it's stability and consistency that will help you rebuild it. So I think also a massive credit to um, the general public. People really got behind me, you know, and people really championed me and supported me. You guys at the Mirror were very sensitive in your reporting and in the paper, you know, Pride of Britain got behind me. And especially when it's something visual, like a facial disfigurement, going out in public is really hard. So once it was a public story, there were some really lovely ways people reacted. It was that knowing nod of the head, like small smile, glance, giving you space. Some people coming up and actually speaking to you as well. But that feeling that something terrible happened, but it's really isolated and people aren't terrible as a whole and as a whole, we're actually pretty decent people is, is really reassuring. And that helps your mental recovery as well as the physical, I think. Obviously, in 2012, you received your Pride of Britain Award. But I was quite amazed, as somebody who's a lot older than you, at this young girl having the resilience, really, to then go on and not just recover herself, but also to set up this foundation. And this is something that we find with all of our Pride of Britain winners. It's it's not just about them. It's about using that. What gave you the strength and where did that idea come from? Well, in the beginning, I think when it happened to me, you know, some of the paperwork you see makes it feel quite definite. So, I'd lost my eyesight and I had, you know, full thickness burns. I had, I'd lost parts of my esophagus, so quite a lot of internal damage. And when you see the words written on the paper that you're disabled, you must apply for disability benefit, you can't do this, you must ring the DVLA, and that feels quite final. And when you're in your early 20s, disease, disability, sickness, or even death is not something you think would ever happen to you in this sort of decade and even beyond, you sort of think it's the stuff you see on the news or in films. And then I think, you know, I was really affected by all of those things in about 30 seconds. It was so sudden. So you kind of have to go on a spiritual journey where 
when you look at what disability is in society that 15 years ago, it's, it's placing very limited expectations on people and saying they can only be one thing. And uh, particularly as a young woman, they don't say that disabled people are attractive or sexy or even have a sex life or are desirable. They don't say that they're CEOs. They don't say that they're trailblazers. They don't encourage them to have a career or be ambitious. And I thought, well, yeah, the outside has absolutely changed of me and the inside is feeling quite battered and challenged, but I am still me. And, you know, man as in mankind, you can touch somebody all over, but you can never truly own another. You'll always have your human spirit and your soul intact. I mean, it might feel slightly fragile at times, but, and I've really started to work on that, that belief of, of being resilient and that resilience is something we all have, like that pedestal of being inspirational is a bit of a facade because we've all got that in our core, but we just usually don't tap into it until it's the only choice we have left. So I tried to do it alone, a lot of self-development, self-help, working on myself. Um, I had a great team in the NHS, you know, my surgeon, but the whole team, you know, when you have any kind of um, big operations, there's physios, there's OTs, there's registrars. And they were brilliant. Um, but I, I do think that sometimes in life, we're taught in like this culture that everything's external and everything we can buy will make us feel better. But I do think sometimes in life, the only answer is within you. And you really have to sit with that sometimes. And you can't wait for other people to make your life better or come into it to enrich it. The only person that can make your life really bloody brilliant is yourself. You set up the foundation the year after. How does somebody in their early 20s even think about setting up a foundation and a charity and the admin and the appalling red tape that you have to go through. Yeah. I mean, it was quite hard because I didn't have a corporate background and, you know, I only had GCSEs, but I knew I wanted to do it. And also like mum and dad had always taught me that you can have anything you want in life if you go out there and work hard for it and make it happen. So I was on disability benefit uh, my eyesight was very bad in the beginning. No eyesight in my left eye. I've got 75% in my right, but the right was more damaged in the beginning. So I couldn't see to do beauty treatments and all my hands were burnt and they had skin grafts and they weren't as flexible and they had bandages and stuff. So I thought I can't go to a salon for a job interview. And I wore a plastic face mask, so I didn't even yeah. have facial expressions. So I thought I'm going to have to do something else. And, you know, not necessarily to earn money, but for purpose. And, you know, when you're depressed, you you end up in this cycle of not waking up on time, not showering. And I thought I need something to take a bit of pride and dignity in myself. And at the same time, separately, I was traveling abroad through specialist funding for treatment. And I was getting great results, you know, much better than the UK patients. And then there was this whole perception around disability that I've spoken about. So with those three things combined of disabled people are so many other things that aren't represented, I'm getting great treatment that's not here. And then also I need a purpose. I thought, well, I can't just wait for someone else to do it. I'm going to have to yeah. make it happen. And it was around that time that Simon Cow had got in touch with me through Channel 4 from seeing my documentary. And then living in a small rural village, um, everyone recognized mum and dad and me and the house. And people started putting 10 pound notes through mum and dad's door 
which they confiscated oh. off me every time. <laughs> Dad, Dad, Dad was like, you're on benefits. It's illegal to take cash in hand. <laughs> it's £10, but thank you. But there wasn't a big sort of business plan. It was literally a HSBC bank account with charitable status. We opened that. We just put the money away. And we thought, well, if there's a big you know, car crash or a house fire, we can just give somebody that lump sum and they can take it themselves and fund themselves to go to this centre abroad that I've been to. Yeah. And then because the public interest didn't stop, I was able to build a board and delegate where all the gaps were in my CV. So I was able to build a a voluntary board of lawyers, HR, doctors, and that's Uh, when it took this kind of formal uh, process. And and the charity just became more and more formal. And we were able to cut out lots of overheads. We had an office for free through Regis, and we had so many sort of gifts in kind. And then, yeah, you know, fast forward present day, we have that rehab center here in this country. We have 20 patients in the center at the moment. Um, and it's never gone away. And, and the great thing is, as my life's progressed and I've become a mom and my career's got busier, there's loads of other Katie's now that are going out giving talks that are mentoring patients as well as me, um, which is really great. And they are, you know, fashionable. They are fun. They are in relationships. They are team leaders at work, you know, but they are disabled. They are burnt. They are disfigured. And it's great. We're seeing a lot more representation through that, which I'm really pleased about. Yes, which we are, which is one of the things I want to talk about. But first of all, I want to talk about the Pride of Britain Award. Yes. Because it was less than four years, I think, after your attack. And we were so impressed, absolutely impressed. And obviously, we'd watched the documentary, which was about your early days and uh, and the work that you were then doing. I, I just want to ask, really, because you know, the purpose of this podcast is we're revisiting a Mm. lot of our previous winners and seeing what life was like then and what life is like now. How did you feel when you learned that you had won one? Everyone kept it a secret from me because, you know, they have to create all those tapes and everything. So people around me knew, but they, they never, ever told me. And and I think for me, it's a very prestigious award, you know, like now I've seen the process. It, it, it's very thought out. It's very considered. Absolutely. And, and tight competition as well, because there's, you know, there's a lot of research that goes into finding all these, all these people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also it doesn't feel like something that's in celebrity culture where people are sort of nominated for doing their job of acting or singing, you know, it, it, it genuinely is people doing different things in society. Um, so I felt really privileged and honored in that sense. Um, I think also I felt a bit worried and scared because I was like, wow, it's such a big event. I haven't really been to anything like that. Um, and then it was really lovely that I was allowed to bring, you know, not just a plus one. I was allowed to bring mum and dad. I bought um, a partner. I brought my surgeon. You know, he'd never been on a red carpet in his life. He didn't know what, <laughs> didn't know what to wear. <laughs> That's so, funny. yeah. And it was not because, you know, like we've shared awful times together. That group of us have been in ICU together. We've been in recoveries together. And to be stood in the red carpet together and to be around a nice table with white wine where you'd have to pay for it and all these things. <laughs> it was just it was just lovely because I'm just used to seeing him in his scrubs, my doctor, and, and to see him there, it kind of, you know, like in, in times of my life, I felt really bad for what my mum and dad have been through. I felt really bad for what the challenge my surgeon has faced. So I felt in my way, I was giving them something nice too. So that uh-huh. felt, yeah, that, that felt good for me. Um, 
And also it was, it was June Brown that gave me the award. Yes. Yeah, yes. so sad to see, see of her passing. Dot Cotton. Yeah, which for me famous. was Dot Cotton, yeah. you know, like yeah. in the and, 90s. And Sir Ian McClellan. Yeah. yeah, and also you. I grew up watching you on Countdown as well, you know. It was Aww. quite surreal for me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but it's a lovely event. I think when you go as well, all of my nerves, once I got there, completely disappeared because I didn't need to worry. It wasn't a judgmental environment. It, You know, everyone's there it's not just about celebrities you genuinely invite all these everyday heroes and all of these yeah. people from and you know different emergency units and I think that was the atmosphere in the room's really nice you know it's, it's really warm and sincere do you know it was also the first night I wore red lipstick wow how did that how did that feel that's very I mean that's very brave for anybody but for someone who has been through what you have been through why did you do that was that a statement to yourself I think it was just a turning point of like this is me and I should just celebrate it as I am and just feel comfortable and people are going to stare so give them something to look at <laughs> that's a good phrase <laughs> I like that phrase that might be a headline somewhere I think at TSB we're proud to partner with the Pride of Britain Awards because we want to say thank you to all the everyday heroes to the ones who put the fun in fundraising or those who speak up for others to the good-natured few who plant seeds to feed communities, and to the warm-hearted people who always have the kettle ready. TSB partners the Pride of Britain Awards, thanking those who help others, because that's life made more. We're talking about the foundation now, and of course... You know, the attack happened before social media really started. There were chat rooms and, you know, forums and things. Um, And I know very recently that you've spoken about when when your book, which I want to talk about, was published and you appeared on Sky News, obviously, to promote it. And then you were trolled, which is sadly part of life nowadays, uh, but you reacted very positively. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I had an internet presence, I was trolled all of the time, as it are most people in the public eye, whether they've had something happen to them or not. And that's under comments, you know, comments under newspaper articles, on social media. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the modern version of the toilet wall, really, at school, isn't it? When everyone used to yeah, write, it- write stuff from there. But mm. I mean, it's a bit more severe. And in the beginning, it was absolutely, you know, years and years ago, it was absolutely crushing because I wasn't confident at all. And the things people were writing, I thought that about myself, you know, my self-esteem was really low. Yeah. I mean, I'm absolutely not in that place anymore and I, and I can cope with it and deal with it. Um, but I do dread doing mainstream sort of stuff uh, where perhaps I'm not really that well known, like the news, like political news, that kind of yeah. thing. You know, my social media is primarily a female following. I follow a lot of sort of feminist accounts, stuff that I'm interested in. And they're quite decent people on, on my Instagram yeah. and stuff. Um, but this particular time, and it's really funny when people think it's okay and not okay to comment on someone's appearance. So this guy was like, oh, who's this ugly old woman on Sky News? Too much Botox, too big lips. And I and I and I I can't even remember why it happens to me so often. But I sort of replied something saying, "Oh, um, yes, I've had Botox, and yet I know I'm not the most good-looking woman. I don't claim to be. It's actually not my job. I don't owe you pretty. That's not why I'm here. 
and uh, my appearance has been altered from an acid attack. And then the person sort of is like, well, I didn't know that. And you think, actually, it doesn't matter if I have or haven't had an acid attack. Who is anybody to comment on somebody's appearance? And actually, if somebody chooses to have any kind of surgery, whether it's cosmetic, whether it's reconstructive, if they're in a sound place mental health-wise, that's up to them. You're still judging them on their appearance, and it's not—it's not up to you to do that and take that higher ground. Um, so, for me, the reason why it infuriates me now is a large part of the stuff we do at the charity is a mentoring scheme. And when you mentor people at the beginning with a different appearance, their biggest worry is that they will be the butt of the joke. They will have horrible yeah. comments either behind their back or to their face. So, yeah. when you try to reassure them that's not the case, and most people are fairly decent, when you go on national telly with a million followers. And that's the reaction. You're just showing people who aren't at your stage of confidence that they're right and that they should hide away and they shouldn't pursue their dreams of going back to employment or having relationships. So that one person slating me on Twitter is having a ripple effect to thousands of people that have been uh, beaten, attacked, and unfortunate accidents, which sadly, one day you could find yourself in. You know, no one's immune to um, a fateful day or something going wrong or or meeting the wrong partner. So it's just really disappointing and really unnecessary. And, you know, for me, I always go by this saying of hurt people hurt people. So I'm really glad I don't come from that place of anger and hurt that that person comes from. But yeah, it is. I mean, I I think it could be changed. I think if social media had a policy where you use your passport to sign up and you get verified and you have to put all those personal details in and you can't be an egg (laughs) and just abuse people, then we might see some change. Well, that hopefully is the online safety bill. I'm quite actively involved in that, which is... uh going through parliament at the moment which um hopefully will change things Mm. Uh, does it give you strength to know that when you do answer back or you speak about it that it does help I try to be boundaried because if I always replied that would be my full-time job (laughs) because it's so often you know I, I I get something every single day and I think if I replied every single day I think that's quite draining and yeah you know, I'm a big believer in energy and putting your energy into productive things. I agree. So yeah, I think you don't let those people penetrate into you and you, and you have that boundary. But I think occasionally, yeah, it, it is good to, to challenge some people's views. But but on the whole, I think it's a celebration at the moment that the world has changed for the better. Like we are seeing more diversity, more representation. It definitely yeah. hasn't got worse. You know, I I feel like I have a place in society that I didn't years ago. I, I feel other women, I can find them on my feed that have had different things happen to them. And I couldn't used to find things like that online. So on, on the whole, it's positive. Like I don't feel cross or frustrated and these people are the minority and I think we must hold on to that now then onto a happier note obviously your your gorgeous husband uh, Richard and your two beautiful children Belle and Penelope how is motherhood <laughs> other than exhausting yeah, it's good. I mean, I've chosen to to be a mum and to have a, have a career as well. So there's that constant um, juggle. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoy, you know, having two girls that the eldest is eight, the youngest is four. 
And, you know, it, it, it's gone, you know, it's cliche, but it's exactly what they say, that it's gone so quickly. They're oh. growing up. Yeah, so independent. Um, and poor Penelope, her most of her life has been in lockdown, you know, so. Oh, of course, she, yes. Yeah, so Bless she's her heart. a very different child to her sister. Um, but hopefully we're going to sort of help her socialize and become confident and sort of now she's getting back out there she's back in her hobbies back at nursery so yeah that's really good back to pride of britain briefly which was when you have been uh, a judge on pride of britain now i always find it really really difficult because we we're given aren't we the the short 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 list of people who could be awarded some for the you know child of courage or some for emergency services or whatever it might be I find it heartbreaking to have to make a decision. How did you find it? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, but I think it's really great how seriously it's taken. You know, there's a lot of time to prep and really full stories sent to you where you can really read it at your leisure and do additional research. Then it's so important how it's all face to face. It's around the table. Yeah. It's really, really considered. And it's really hard when you judge people because people bring different strengths, different characteristics. So you can't really compare them sometimes. But I will say to get to that stage where your photos and your story is being passed around the table of some pretty incredible people the judging girls yep, they are really diverse everyone's got their own life experiences they've they've had a really rich career so just to be discussed at that table is an achievement you know you've you've actually been recognized you've been pulled out from the masses of millions of people so i think first of all be proud if you get to that stage um, and I have seen over the years, some people don't necessarily get an award that year, but they do get reconsidered and they do <laughs> sometimes, you know, get awards. We do awards. that all the time, don't we? we go, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, uh, well, oh gosh, yes, well, we'll have to take a vote. And then one person on the short, short, short list is yeah. voted through. We've got, well, can we just put the, uh, can we just put that person? <laughs> that happens all the time, yeah. all the time. People yeah. champion other people. They sort of get emotionally involved and then really champion them. And yeah, but at least it's always very fair. And I think that's great, you know. Yes, so now, um, milady, we're in 2022. You have this uh, fantastic best-selling book, A Little Bit of Faith. The foundation is going brilliantly. You've got your two beautiful children and, uh, you know, a lovely marriage. What's next? The lockdown taught me I needed to slow down a bit and enjoy the stuff I was doing and possibly be more present for my kids. You know, I was like the classic person that would tick the box of rushing home and making the bedtime, yeah. but rushing the story, getting downstairs to get back on my phone, to send an email. So I was there in person, but I wasn't really very relaxed and enjoying the present moment. So it, it has been to take less on and to slow down um, and to really dedicate my time to projects I'm super passionate about. So. Yep, the charity lives on, the rehab centre, it takes a lot of fundraising because it's a lot of overheads. Um, but for my projects, I've just announced I'm going into um, children's literature. Um, so, Lovely. yeah, I'm writing my first children's book, which is called All You Need. And it's about the qualities that a child needs to be happy and to be confident. Um, yeah, so I've done it for Penelope's age group. So I'm working with an illustrator. It's very much, you know, it's text and pictures. So that it's sort of yeah. three to sort of five-year-olds that can, can read it with their parents. 
you can do a lot of that from home as well, can't you? Yeah, you can. Yeah. I mean, I've gone back to in face-to-face work now and I've gone back to some traveling, but I mean, it's great the stuff you can do at home because then I can still do the school runs and, you know, make it back in time for ballet and swimming lessons and all the other bits. And <laughs> well, we wish you all the very best with that, Katie. And um, it's a privilege really to be able to have so much of your time. And um, thank you for telling us about your Pride of Britain win and uh, for everything that you do because it really does help so many people. You know, there are a lot of broken people out there and genuinely what you do helps to mend some of them. I still have the award on the shelf. So I, you know, yeah, it's a big part of my life. I've got one here, which they gave me just for surviving 20 years. (laughs) I keep it there. Because it reminds me, uh, you know, wonderful people like you who are, oh, you know, and, and I think in the world we need to be reminded of the Katie Pipers. So thank <laughs> you, Katie. <laughs> thank you very much. And a big congratulations you, to everyone this year as well who's been nominated and won as well. Yeah. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Thank you to our wonderful Katie Piper. It's always great catching up on our award-winning stars. And a couple of weeks ago, I headed off for a very special night, camping out in the cold in North Devon with some of the amazing children who won Pride of Britain Awards last year in 2021. Like Katie Piper, they're a resilient bunch and can teach us all a thing or two or 10 about the power of positivity and friendship. The big campout was set up by one of our winners, the super camper Max Woozy, to mark his second anniversary of camping out, sleeping in his tent every single night for two years. Max was only 10 when he started this. He's 12 now, and he's raised over £600,000 so far for the North Devon Hospice, and he won our Spirit of Adventure Award. Max even camped out on the balcony of his hotel room and then again in Twickenham Stadium when he came up to London to accept his award. Here's the man. So how's it gone? Mark's out of 10 for today. 100. It's been absolutely amazing. It's lovely for everyone to be here. It's nice to meet everyone. It's nice to have these memories back from the Pride of Britain and be able to talk about that again. Yeah. How many sleeps away are we from two years now? Three sleeps? Three. Two or three. Yeah. Tonight is Saturday night. Is it Tuesday night the last one? No. (laughs) It's not going to be the last one. I'm still going to go out there. Yeah. Because... I think it's just quite a nice experience. I think you're so used to it now. Yeah, you? and I think one of the reasons I love it so much is because of today's like these. Yeah. Because you all come together and you all have fun. Yeah. And today isn't about me. It's not about the Northland Hospice. It's about everyone. Yeah. It's about everyone having a good time, having fun, having fun with their friends and family. And everyone is having a good time, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it is. It is lovely to see. And it's not the warmest of nights. This is March in North Devon, mm. as your mum said. I mean, this is a warm night for me so far. I know. It's a, I'm, I'm, I'm just in a jumper and I'm feeling quite toasty and warm. So I'm, I'm excited, but I don't know how it feels for you right now. <laughs> it's not so warm for the rest of us, yeah. I have to admit. 
Well, it is wonderful, isn't it? And all the singing and everything, it's just beautiful. Congratulations on behalf of all of us. Thank you. Yeah, and have a great rest of the night. I don't think you'll be having much sleep tonight. So. Yeah, either. <laughs> I think I've got sweets in my bag. I think I haven't eaten them yet, and it's nearly bedtime, so I think I might have a bit of oh, What time is bedtime, then? Whenever my mum looks at the clock. Oh, OK. Right, she doesn't look at the clock, we're OK. She's the boss. All right, then. Someone who really understands the power of friendship is Huey Higginson. He and his best mate, Freddie Zavey, won the Pride of Britain Young Fundraisers Award after raising an incredible amount of money for the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital charity. It's a cause close to their hearts. Huey was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia in 2020, and Freddie has been at his side supporting him throughout his treatment. And those two have been on a series of fundraising challenges which seem to never end. They drove down with their families all the way from Burnley for the night. Hello, lovely. Hi, all right, Hi. Carol. So, how's it going? Good. Is it? Good, yeah, just having a chill. Yeah, you're not well, too cold. You've just been running around with a t shirt on tonight. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, oh, no, no, no. This is tropical for us. <laughs> <laughs> this is tropical. So, tell us about what you're doing now. So, it's 100 pitches you're doing. Yeah, so we're going to run one kilometre around every football pitch in the Premier League and AFL, and we're going to do so that's 92 and then yeah. we're going to do eight more to tie it up to 100 so that might be rugby as well yeah maybe a rugby one hopefully Wembley so everyone we go to we're going to get um, either the home or away kit yeah the number of which ground it is and our name on the back we're going to try and get assigned football and yeah. different different things from each ground i tell you what I love is that because the money that you raise like yeah. at Exeter yeah. will go to the local children's oncology won't it yeah so today when we were running around Exeter it would have gone to Bristol Royal Children's yeah, Hospital yeah that's right because that's for the South West yeah all the Bristol clubs I think Plymouth yeah. um, and I think Swindon as well um, and yeah it's, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be good to raise money for all the oncology wards. And is that for the slushies then? Um, so we want slushies because one of the side effects of the chemo it gives you mouth sores and ulcers. Yeah, and is that not nice? No, I've I've only had it once, and yeah. so I've been I've been lucky, but I've seen people who've had it really really bad and they just want something cold and yeah and the parents have to go out and buy ice pops and they don't have anything like directly that you can give them on hand and how's your treatment going then now um so i'm i'm good i'm still in the hospital uh about every every week um depending on blood sometimes it's every two weeks but um yeah i've still got two years left it's a three and a half year cycle and I'm about uh, one and a half one and a half years through so when you go in and have your IV your chemo IV yeah how does that affect you can you go to school that week um it's normally on a Thursday but this week it's on a Wednesday because I'm having a lumbar puncture uh, I know so they, they put me to sleep for it though so I, I don't feel it yeah so if I'm having chemo or a lumbar puncture I don't go into school for that day but I'm back in the next day are you really yeah um, oh. my favorite subject in school is geography maths Sorry. So coming down here and with Max and everybody, yeah. I think it's lovely. We've never seen this happen before, really. When, you know, when people have connected on Pride of Britain like you lot. Yeah. Well, we've we've still kept in touch with quite a lot of the winners. We're yeah. we're still in touch with Harmony.
Harmony Rose Allen is a girl in a million. She was only a baby when she lost her limbs to meningitis, but she has never, ever let her disability stand in her way. Now she's seven years old and her positivity shines through. She loves swimming, she loves dancing, and as we found out, she absolutely loves singing. She moved everyone to tears when she performed an amazing karaoke duet with Ed Sheeran at last year's awards. And she was back on the mic to treat us all again in Devon. Are you having a good time? Yeah. Have you been camping before? Yes. So tell me about when you met Ed Sheeran and why you want to sing this song. Um, well, he gave me the Pride of Britain award. That was a cracking film, that, wasn't it? It was. Oh, it, it was so good. That cake that you had as well looked amazing. I, 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 I wanted to dig into that It was cake. bigger than you, wasn't it? It was giant. Yeah. If smell-o-vision was a thing, oh. <laughs> oh. I'll be right in there. Okay, then, introduce the song. We're going to be singing Perfect by Ed Sheeran. And can yeah. everybody sing? Yeah. This one? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, yeah. Come on. We're going to sing along. When I said you loved a mess I whispered underneath my breath But you're burning Darling, you look perfect We are the Pride of Britain family, so that night another winner from last year, Steve Wharton, came down from Cumbria to camp out for the night. Now, as a firefighter, Steve was used to dealing with dangerous situations, but he won his award because he proved himself exceptional when he dived into a freezing lake to rescue a drowning teenager. The 13-year-old had been underwater for 25 minutes, and Steve brought him up, and thankfully, he went on to recover. Steve's actions were recognised with an Emergency Services Pride of Britain Award, and Steve has forged lifelong friendships with some of his fellow winners. So what was it like after Pride of Britain? Did people, like, go, oh, yeah, we saw it, you? It, 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 we're still sort of going now. It's uh, obviously been asked to come down here and do this, but, yeah, yeah people see you and you sort of say, oh, you were that firefighter guy, weren't you? And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> quite surreal, really, but, but nice and warming as well. The, yeah. the whole Pride of Britain experience was just... It was really, really special, sort of that money you cannot buy experience. Yeah. And, yeah, it was lovely. I think this is lovely. I've never been to one of these before, you know, where everybody's got together. Yeah. um, After, particularly the children. They seem to get on really well, don't they? They do, don't they? I think I might ask uh, Rachel Maximum to make it like an annual thing. Personally, I've kept in contact with quite a few of the prize winners. Huey, Freddie... Yeah. Rob, Sam, we've texted each other. That's uh, nice. So you're in a tent tonight? We're tenting it, yes. Yeah, lovely. Yes, under canvas. It's the least we can do when Max has done two years and we've got to suffer years. one night. Yeah, I know. I was yeah. saying to Rachel and Mark, you know, his mum and dad, like how much longer he's going to carry on doing it, but yes. because he likes it and he's coming into the summer, isn't he? Yeah, so I suppose yeah. he likes that, but. I think the sort of, from what they're saying, the pressure's off him a little bit yeah, now. He's, well, he's achieved his milestone of two years. He was years. 10 when he started, and he's 12 now. I mean, But he's a very mature 12-year-old guy now. Yeah, he's, he is. He's absolute credit to him and his family. Oh, he's, he's a lovely guy. It's extraordinary. And from what he's done, it's absolutely amazing yeah. that a guy that age can yeah. make so much money. 
and for such a good cause as well. Yeah. It's an absolute credit to From him. something so simple, if absolutely. you like. Absolutely. Yeah. Simple but persevering. You look at a lot of kids that age yeah. where they struggle to come out of the bedrooms because all they want to do is play, play on the, the PlayStations and yeah, Xboxes right, and things yeah. like that. But yeah. uh, no, no, he's, he's done very, very well. I do love being out in the open air. I'm converting a van at the moment. Well, I'm not converting it. I'm paying someone to convert it. Okay. A bit like that van there. Right. Yeah, I can't wait. Okay. Sleep well. You too. <laughs> it's nearly midnight and the stars are out. It's absolutely beautiful. Freezing, but beautiful night here. And the lads are still playing rugby. Touch rugby in the marquee. And everyone's sitting around on the bales of hay and it's just lovely. It's perfect to see everyone together, you know. And such wonderful, wonderful people. Very special night. Lucky. Very, very lucky. One of the magical things about our Pride of Britain family is watching it grow. Seeing friendships develop, welcoming people in and hearing more about their lives, listening to some of the extraordinary people we all know and come to love. And that friendship, support and unconditional love can come from anywhere, as this next heartwarming story shows. Because not all acts of kindness or love win awards, but we want to celebrate them anyway. So, read by our good friend JK... This is the first in our series of Your Stories of Pride. This is a story about the power of friendship and the special unbreakable bond between us and our pets. When soldier Comrade Lewis was deployed to Afghanistan with his regiment, the 3rd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, it didn't take him long to find a canine friend. The 20-year-old had always loved dogs, and when he came across a stray, he didn't hesitate to take her in. He wrote home to his parents, Tony and Sandy, to tell them he'd found a great friend in his new dog, Peg. Life in Afghanistan was full of hairy moments. Comrade was a sniper who went on regular foot patrols. But as he put it, having a non-human he could talk to gave him hope and comfort on even the darkest days. She was loyal and fearless too, following Conrad wherever he went. From then on, his letters home always mentioned her. He taught her to sit and beg, and when he came back for Christmas, he proudly shows off photos of her too. He even told his parents that if anything happened to him, he wanted them to take care of Peg, explaining to his dad it would break his heart if she was left behind. Just five weeks later, they received the news every parent dreads. Conrad had been killed, shot while on foot patrol. Nothing could take away the pain of losing their son, but they honoured his wishes. With the help of an animal charity, she was brought to their home in Warwickshire. They weren't sure how she'd react, but as soon as she was let out of her cage, she ran straight up to Conrad's bedroom. His parents had left one of his jumpers on the bed, still unwashed from his visit home that last Christmas. She knew. From that moment, she was part of the family. As Conrad's mum, Sandy, said, they couldn't look after Conrad anymore, but they would do their best to look after his beloved dog. Now, the feeling is mutual, with Peg seeming to know instinctively when members of the family are feeling sad or in need of a hug. With her gentle nature, she continues to bring the whole family real joy and a sense of connection to their son her best friend. Ah, wonderful to hear how Peg means so much to Conrad's family, especially in their grief after Conrad's death. 
If you have an experience you'd like to share about events that perhaps have changed your life or or people who've meant the most to you or people who've done, well, just wonderful things for others, please get in touch for the chance to feature in our regular Your Stories of Pride slot. I'd like to say a massive thank you to all of our guests, our friends at TSB, lovely JK, and of course, and probably most importantly, you. That's all for today. See you next time when we'll be talking to more extraordinary people. Until then, let us know what you think of this and all our podcasts on our Pride of Britain social media channels. We're learning and we're always listening. Bye for now.